Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. This is our scripture reading for the day. This is Psalm 107, verses 1 through 3, and then 17 through 22. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from his hands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some were sick through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them. And delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, in this very moment, perhaps the most silent and still we've been all week, because even when we can manage to calm our bodies, our minds still race. We move back and forth between regretting the past or fearing the future, but the one place it's so hard to be is right here, right now. And yet this is exactly where you are. Closer to us than the air we breathe. We come to this very moment hopeful, joyful, anticipating or expecting what you might do in our lives, we come to this moment fearful or tired, anxious, or angry. Come to this moment addicted or depressed. Help us to see that in all of our differences, we actually have far more in common than we realize. That each of us is what we might call a beautiful mess. And you see us in all our beauty and our brokenness, in the ways we're put together and the ways we feel like we're coming undone. And your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to see that you love us this much. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. And send us out to be your very hands and feet, agents of your renewal, wherever we go. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. And would you wake us up to your grace and your glory. In your name, amen. Well, as we count this one year since the shutdown, the global pandemic declaration, you know, one of the ways that I've stayed mentally, emotionally, and physically semi-in shape has been through open water swimming and through cycling. And this last week, I'm about to give you a a life hack here. This last week, my friend introduced me to a a great new ride that we have where we park down at the waterfront by the Star of India, the the oldest iron-hulled sailing ship in the world. Free parking till 10 a.m. Where can you get that downtown? We park there, and then we take the ferry boat from Broadway Pier to Coronado with our bikes. The ferry boat is free until 9 a.m. They call it commuter hours. And they don't check if you're working or not. I was working on my bike riding. 
And so anyways, free parking, free ferry boat ride, and you're in Coronado, and then we ride our bikes around the whole bay and get back to downtown by 8.30 in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and you're off to work. It's great. So that's a life hack. That's from me to you. That's for free. You could do the free ferry boat and not do the bike ride. You could just go across the bay and have a cup of coffee and come back. So have, have fun. If you do it, text me. Let me know. Um, but this time, while we parked in front of the aforementioned Star of India, it's the amazing three-masted ship that's right down there at the bay. It's been afloat for over 150 years. And my buddy Kenny and I were marveling at this old ship and all of the rigging and the ropes and the nets and the pulleys, and we're looking at it. There's over 100 different strands of things going on here, trying to imagine ourselves at sea in a storm and the captain says, take the sails down. I wouldn't know where to start. And as we're marveling at this ship, a man comes down the walkway. And it turns out he is the master rigger for the Star of India and has been for 30 years. His name's Jim. So, Jim, if you're joining in, hi, Jim. Good to see you. And I said, so, Jim, tell us about the ship. He lives aboard the Star of India. That would be a dream for about two days. He's lived aboard the Star of India for a long time. And he starts explaining to me what the rigging does and what the sails do and how many people it takes to make this whole thing happen. I said, Jim, you know this ship like the back of your hand, right? It's because of his experience and because of his eye, his perspective, that he's able to make sense of something that otherwise to me was just a tangle of ropes. Now, in some ways, um, we come to Psalm 107, and it's actually a long, ornate psalm. The psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. Some of them are short, some of them are long. Some of them are joyful. Many of them are lament, sorrow, sadness, regret. Questions like, God, why does it seem like you're not in my life right now? If you're good, why are bad things happening to me? So if you've ever asked questions like that, you are in good company. Psalm 107 has a lot of rigging to it, has a lot of ropes to it. And so it's my job just to pull one strand down today, and we can examine it together. But what it gets at is... What do you do when it feels like your life is coming undone? It asks you, what's holding your life together right now? Through all the unpredictability of this world, how do you hold it all together? And what do you do when it feels like you can't hang on any longer? Psalm 107, like all of the Psalms, is a poem. It has this poetic flow to it. It has this reiteration of the verse. In fact, most people believe these psalms were all meant to be sung. And you're welcome for me not singing Psalm 107 today. We could have had Haley sing Psalm 107 or Matt, not me. But here's the flow of 107. It follows this pattern. and There's four stanzas. We have one before us. But the flow goes, there was some sort of trouble. So for us today, we have verse 17. Some were sick, right? So it describes the trouble, and then they cry out to God, And God hears them and saves them from their trouble. And they respond with thanksgiving, right? So people are in trouble, describes the trouble, they cry out, God rescues, and they give thanks. That's the pattern. So in the first stanza, you have God gathering people from the desert wasteland. Where it just feels empty. Where it feels lonely. Where it feels like it's just getting too hot and you're not sure how long you're going to last. And God enters into that situation. The second one, God gathers them from the darkness and gloom of prison. When it feels like you're trapped or you're stuck and you can't move forward. Later on in the stanza, it says, 
that God gathered them from the sea. And the sea stands as a proxy for everything that is dangerous, volatile, and unpredictable in your life. Even today with GPS and GLONASS and all different types of navigational systems, the sea is still a tumultuous, turbulent place. How much more back then? The sea was the place you go and you don't know if you're coming back. And God says, when you go on that journey, even then I'll gather you. But the one we're going to zoom in today, it's actually an odd one. It says, some were sick through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities they endured affliction. God ultimately gathers us from the things we have done to ourselves and the things other people have done to us. The brokenness that we radiate out into this world, either intentionally or not, and the brokenness that has been afflicted upon us. God sees it and doesn't say, yuck, or good luck with that. God is not the unmoved mover or the divine watchmaker that set the world on its course and then just watches as it moves. God is intimately connected to your life and to mine. God not only sees, God cares about your particular life, about your specific story, about the parts you would be proud to bring up and have everybody here know all about you and about the parts you wish you could erase from your life with the stroke of a pen. God sees it all. And it brings the question, where do you feel like you're coming undone? And what's holding you together? So in this passage, we see the condition that we're in, the solution, and then how we access it. Okay? First, the condition. I read it to you. It says, some were sick from their sinful ways. In fact, I'm not going to get into the nerdiness of the original Hebrew on this, but many scholars believe that's not a completely accurate translation. Probably more accurate would be some became fools because of their rebellious ways. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, rendition in the message, he says, some of you became fools because you lived a bad life, your bodies feeling the effects of your sin. And here's the point. These people are in a bad place. The next line says they even loathed food, right? These people are dying. Part of my role is to sit with people who are at the end of their life. And often one of the last stages is when you refuse food, either because you have no stomach for it or because you can't eat it. He says these people, because of their foolishness or their rebellion, because of the things that they did, the ways that they wandered, they're in such a place where they're not just having a bad day. They're coming to the end of their resources. And part of the picture, I want you to see, that Psalm 107 gives us, the picture of God is not that God is keeping a list of all of your sins, all the ways you missed the mark, all the ways that you failed, and God is going to punish you for all of those things. There are places where it talks about how God takes our sins seriously because God loves us, just as I take my children's behavior seriously because I care for them. But this is actually a picture that is not saying God will punish you for the ways you rebel and wander. It's a picture of the ways you rebel and wander will punish you themselves. Go into any 12-step meeting and listen for five minutes, and you will hear stories of people talking about the things they've done to themselves. And they're not saying, God punished me for that. They're saying, my own life is reaping the whirlwind because of those actions, because of those moments. But it's not just for the classic addictions. It's for the more subtle ways that we wander. Think about the way you relate to your work. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you're pursuing a promotion 
You're pursuing a raise. You're pursuing whatever that milestone is. And soon you realize your physical health is actually being affected because of this. Your relationship with other people who are closest to you is deteriorating. You're beginning to lose yourself in your work. What do you do next? Or in pursuing the next big thing, the next big project, the next big investment, and it seems like this is going to be the way toward financial security, toward wealth, toward success. And you realize it's making you more and more anxious because you've wound your identity, your sense of yourself, in with that projected success. And you begin to lose your own identity. Might that be why you find yourself in relationships where you know this relationship's not good for you, but you just don't want to be alone? And so you end up compromising yourself, losing your true core. Could be in the desire to be known and to be loved, and so you spend a lot of time and energy working on your external appearance in person, online, on social media. Always fearful that if they really knew who you were, they'd run away. And yet deep down you, you believe that no one knows the real you. You see, all sorts of ways we wander and we end up eroding ourselves. So let me ask you, what are you pursuing? What drives you? And are you aware of the way that that pursuit is making you more whole, more human, more alive, more vibrant, more buoyant, more connected? Or is it making you more anxious, more tired, more isolated? And in the midst of that condition, what do they do? It says verse 19, They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Walter Brueggemann, a renowned Old Testament scholar, notes that in the original Hebrew, the words for they cried and God saved are slammed up next to each other, so close you can't even get a sheet of paper through it. And part of the meaning is, there's no space, there's no pause, there's no anxiety, there's no bargaining. God is answering the call for help before you even make it. It's like a parent watching their child climb a precarious branch of a tree. And the parent intuitively knows that they need to stand underneath that tree. And the child falls to what they think will be their imminent death. But they fall into the arms of a loving parent. And they look up in shock and say, how did you know I was going to fall? How did you get here so quickly? And the parent says, I'm always watching you. I'm always watching you. I will always catch you. You see, to be a Christian means you can actually fall into the embrace of a God who sees the pain and brokenness of your life and is not put off by it. Who actually moves toward you in those very pain points. But look at the interesting thing. How does God heal them? I would think it would say, and God fed them. God cleaned them up. God did something else for them. How does God take care of these people? They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Here's how he does it. He sent out his word. He sent out his word and healed them. There's a place in scripture in Isaiah 55, the prophet Isaiah says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, 
And don't return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall God's word be that goes out from God's mouth. It doesn't return back to God empty, but it accomplishes that which he purposes it and succeeds for the thing for which he sent it. God's word goes out to heal. So then you and I, we stop and we think, well, where have we seen God's word in action in the rest of the big story throughout Scripture? And you see it in the very opening pages. In the beginning was the word. And it was by God's word that God created all that is and was and ever will be. God said, let there be light, and there was light. When God sends out God's word, new things get created. And so when God looks at the stuckness of your life and of mine, God sends out a word. He says, I will do something new here. I know this feels stale. I know this feels old. I know this feels like you can't get out of this rut. And yet I will speak new creation into your life. Where do you need God to speak a new word in your life? Maybe we'll let that be part of our prayer as we walk toward Easter together. Where else do we see God's word? We see God's word when the people of God are enslaved in bondage in Egypt. And God, through Moses, says, let my people go. God's word creates. God's word liberates and sets us free. But ultimately, we see God's word in the flesh. John chapter 1 begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. When you look at Jesus you see not only the creative capacity of God and the power of God to liberate and set us free, but you see the character of God. You see power and ability and might with steadfast love. See, if all you have is a God of power and might, then you have someone to be afraid of. And if all you have is a God of love, with no power, you have a God who has a bleeding heart and just wishes these things weren't happening in this world. And gosh, he wishes he could do something about it, but shucks, he can't. But when you see Jesus, you see a God of power and might. Power over death itself. Power over sin and brokenness, the things we've done to ourselves and the things that have been done to us. And it's all wrapped up in his steadfast love. So how do you access it? See, this is why any book on Christianity or following Jesus should never belong in the self-help section of the bookstore or on Amazon. You know, people say God helps those who help themselves. That is nowhere in Scripture. The whole point is that you can't help yourself. The whole point, to open yourself to a life with God, a deep, rich, meaningful life with the one that created you, all you need is nothing. All you need is need. What do they do to access this? They cry out. That's it. Help me. Maybe right now, just being a part of this church service, 
is an act of you saying, God, if you are real, if you do care, break into my life. Help me. Convince me. That's an honest prayer. I have the picture of my mind of someone who feels like they're falling off a cliff, and as they fall down the cliff, there's one branch that's sticking out, and they hold on to the branch, and they say, God, help me. And God says, let go of the branch. And they say, heavens, no, I'm not letting go of the branch. If I do, surely I'll die. And God says, let go of the branch. You'll be all right. No, no way, no way. And they hold on as long as they can on this branch until their knuckles turn white, and finally they have to let go, and they let go only to find there's a ledge one foot below them, and they're perfectly safe. To be a Christian means you can go through the cliffhangers of your life. And when it feels like you can't hold on any longer, you can actually fall into the embrace of a God who would never leave you or forsake you. That God's hands are actually big enough and powerful enough that when it feels like your life is falling apart, God won't let one piece fall to the ground. Yes, there will be pain. And yes, there will be tears. And God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will walk with you through all of that. Walter Brueggemann, as I mentioned, Old Testament scholar wrote, Thus the message is diametrically opposed to much of what contemporary North American culture teaches people. In modern culture, maturity is often measured by how self-sufficient we are. We are taught that we earn what we have. We are taught that we must pull ourselves up by our bootstraps when we are down. We are taught that wisdom is getting ahead in whatever way we can manage without getting caught. We are taught that our security results from careful planning, investment, and management. In short, we are taught to be self-made persons. No need to cry for God, no need to cry to God for help, and consequently no need to thank God for anything. Seldom, if ever, does it occur to us that human life depends on God. Thus the message of Psalm 107 is simple but radical. There is ultimately no such thing as self-sufficiency for human life depends on God. There's an invitation here to be honest. This is a lament 101. To be honest about the ways that it feels like things are coming undone. To see that God cares and then to simply cry out and be open to God moving in the midst of the mess. And what's the result? talks about these people being redeemed. Redeemed was a political and a financial term. It was what you did to set people free from slavery. The, rede- the redemption price would be the price that would be paid to purchase somebody's freedom. And he says, do you realize you're far more free than you give yourself credit for? So why don't you go live as a free person? It says that God gathered them. I love in verse 2. Verse 3, gathered them in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. This is Hebraic poetry way of saying everybody, everywhere, which is what you get in the Christian community at church at its best. Is an unlikely coalition of people who don't normally gather together, gathering around Christ because he set us free. To become a Christian means to be baptized and brought into a family of brothers and sisters that you would have never chosen if it was up to you. And that's okay because they might feel the same way. It means that our central unifying principle is not that we all vote the same way or think the same way or have the same level of education or make the same amount of money or like the same type of food or music. The unifying principle 
is that Jesus Christ is setting us free. And as we gather around him, that means that we don't need to ignore our differences. We can actually talk about them. It means we can disagree with one another with charity and grace. And that's how you grow. If you ever want to stop growing, just hang out with people that think like you. And in that echo chamber, that will be the pinnacle of your thought life and possibly your maturity. But it's in the impossible sociological phenomenon of the church where God does God's work of growing us through our pain and through our joy together. So simple action step there. You've already gotten step one down by virtue of being a part of this service. You're a part of Renew Church. Whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, you're a part of the community. Take the next step of knowing and being known in the midst of this community. Come back next week at 930 and bring a friend. Join in the community group on Wednesday night or the prayer group. Or just hit, the if you're joining in online, hit the contact button on our website. Just so we can know who you are. So you can be more a part of the life of this community. We are gathered together and we are sent out. Because at the end, they don't just treasure up all the good news that God is doing in their lives. It says, let them tell of his deeds. There's an enjoyment of God in the moment. And then it always sends you outward to share the good news with others. In word and deed. I love that during our prayer gathering on Wednesday... One of the members of the church couldn't make it, but he texted me right before and said, pray for my neighbor so-and-so. He's not doing well. We did pray for his neighbor. But what I loved about that story was that this member of our church knows how his neighbor's doing, that he was checking in on them, that he had bound his welfare to his neighbor's welfare in one way or another. To be a Christian means to be brought into community, to be rescued and set free, and then to be sent outward to be an agent of that freedom and liberation and blessing wherever you go. That's what turns the world upside down. That's what transforms everything. That's what changes your life and mine. And so Renew Church, on this day, as we look back at the last year of COVID shutdown and pandemic, as we look forward with hope to the next year of vaccinations and herd immunity and whatever new normal might look like, what does it look like for you to have a story to tell. Who can you share with? If your, life was telling, if your life was telling a story, what would the title of the story be right now? And who has God put in your life to share good news? Through what you say, through what you do, sometimes by simply being present to somebody else. And as we do, we're transformed. This is the great calling, friends. This is what changes the world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do join in with this ancient song that has helped people like us for thousands of years. And in this very moment, would you give us not only eyes to see, but the courage to be authentic with ourselves and with you about our need, about the ways that we try to hold it together, and yet it's leaving us more exhausted and more anxious. Help us to see that you're moving toward us even in this very moment holding us together, and help us to cry out to you. As we do, remind us that we are set free. Gather us together to grow us and develop us and mature us and breathe your life into us, and then send us out with a story to tell. May it be a story of your grace 
may be a story of your renewal. May it be a story of your new creation, which we long for and wait for even now. And as we prepare to come to this table, we come hungry, we come thirsty. Would you feed us and fill us and nourish us? We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.